Welcome everyone, this is Sasha on Moving Mountain. Today we get to meet the author of Terror Strikes, a book about a Detroit newspaper man, Martin, embarking on a journey to write a book on terrorism titled Terrorism Tracks. Joseph M. Leonard is a political issues blogger, vlogger, speaker, and former IT professional. Joining us in conversation is Joseph. Welcome Joseph to Moving Mountains. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You have penned a book, Terror Strikes, and the genre of the book is part fact and fiction. What inspired you to balance those two genres? Well, I certainly did not want to sit down to write a dry, almost history book, like manuscript. I thought it would be well received if I blended fact and fiction to help have a fiction story to drive along but yet still share historical fact portions in the book, like uh, chapters on 9-11, obviously, but also Toronto, Ontario, Canada, London, England, Madrid, Spain, Tokyo, Japan. Because you're referencing history, how did you decide which parts of history you want to integrate into the book and which you leave out? Well... I didn't want to write a war and peace level book. I mean, I could have. So yeah, that was the tough part, deciding the pieces of history to include and the pieces to leave out. I tried to strictly deal with modern terrorism, which is usually terrorism or terrorists to me, mainly reserved for those who are ununiformed combatants that often target citizens, residents, you know, other non-uniformed people. And it is important to point that there are also other sub-themes that I wanted to address, like caring about one's neighbor, some degree of politics, because it's in part why they're targeting us, suicide prevention. There's a chapter on comic relief because even though as serious as things are today, uh, we still have to maintain a sense of humor, PTSD, survivor's guilt, suicide prevention. Uh, there's even a chapter called Hell on Earth. No, not that hell. You know, the hell on it. Actually, it's about Hell, Michigan. There's a place called Hell, Michigan. And it'll make sense when you read the book. It won't make sense now. But when you read the book, it'll make sense. And then things like paying it forward, charity, you know. Your book was written in an innovative manner because there's a book within the book. And it is inspired by a blog that the character Martin writes. You are also a blogger. So what did your real blog, what role did it play into inspiring you to write? Because this book started back in 2006, and yes. you revisit it now. Yeah. Well, this is literally 
and figuratively a culmination of a dream. This book came to me in a dream in 2006 and I started writing it then, but it didn't quite fully come together. And the dream came back last year and it finally all flowed together. But yes, uh, Terrorist Tracks is the book within the book and is a double play on terms. And there are several other duality word plays in the book, both tracking down terrorists and in uh, that many terror strikes are on passenger rail that run on tracks. And knowing that no, being a former IT guy, uh, like you said, this goes back to 2006, but I've been writing blogs long before that, long before the term blogging was even invented <laughs> yet. You know, long before the internet as it exists today, it was around and knowing that no one under the age of 40 knows life without the internet and are familiar with a blog is and so i provided martin's blog on 9-11 which was really my blog i repurposed into his voice uh to share parts and aspects in a modern new and innovative book storytelling methodology that's never been done before. So that is only one reason and all those sub-themes why I tell you that this book is like no other book you've ever read. You know, normally you sit down to write a, a particular type of book and there's a formula to follow. I took that formula, ran it through the shredder, threw it out the window, said, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how it came to me in a dream. This is how it's going to be. I want a book like no other. And so it's something different for people to enjoy, not the same formulaic stuff they can get everywhere else, because there are so many writers nowadays, so many books. This one is really, really different. Well, that's where creativity comes in. Does a part of you believe that if you had started and finished the book around 2006, it would have left out a good chunk of what has happened over the last 15 years? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I think it kind of needed to fall apart and it did fall apart for very good reasons. And uh, with everything that happened in these last 15, 20, uh, 15, 16 years, a whole lot would have been missed had it come out in 2006. It would have still been okay, but it wouldn't be what it is today had it come out then. When we hear or see the word terrorism, it stirs all types of emotions. And although you define what terrorism is, the book itself is about living, building a quality of life and not getting overwhelmed by the scare tactics and the fear tactics in your opinion, over the last several decades, how do you feel the idea of terrorism is sold to the masses? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Actually, the reports of terrorism have been on the wane. Not terrorist strikes themselves, just the reporting of it. Most of the mainstream media outlets have engaged in Wuhan virus hysteria and hype and not covered the terrorism that's been going on. Uh, so just because it hasn't been in the news 
doesn't mean it hasn't been happening. And like I said earlier, there's a comic relief chapter. Uh, there's a recurring theme about not being an ostrich. If you bury your head in between the railroad tracks because you hear the train whistle, doesn't gonna stop it from bowling you over because you no longer see and hear it because your head is buried in the sand. And I like to say that this book, although it's about terrorism, is not a book about death. It's a book about life and living and those both foreign and domestic who want to deprive you of your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. A lot of people derive their thoughts from things that they hear, they read, they see. How do you go about living your life? Because you're also teaching others to live an enlightened life and not just succumb to the fear. Yes, I'm hoping, again, that that is indeed part of the book. Uh, we, we have to live our lives, but we have to be aware still of the things going on around us. Again, the ostrich thing, just because you don't pay attention doesn't mean something can't happen to you. And that's why the subtitle, Terror Strikes, the subtitle is coming soon to a city near you. It can happen anywhere. It can happen in the rural areas of the country too. You need to read the Tulsa chapter to be made aware of that, that it can happen anytime, any place. But that doesn't mean you bury yourself in your house and never leave and just always ordering, you know, uh, Uber Eats. <laughs> you can't shut out the world. You gotta live life. But alternatively, you can't be oblivious to the negative aspects that are going on. You can't just stay home watching TV and living in a fantasy world all the time either. Because you use the word terror and people think of terrorists, there's usually some form of stereotype that accompanies it. And in your book and in your through your speaking engagements, you make it very clear this is not about foreigners because we also have ingrown terrorism that exists within our own countries. Absolutely. Uh, this is about terrorism of you, mostly a particular kind, Giza, as I call them, Global Islamic Jihadist, Jihadist Interim Army. Uh, that's like we called the National Socialist Deutschland Arbeiter Party members the Nazis, rather than calling these the Islamic fundamentalist radicals, I call them Giza for short. A term I'm trying to get into the nomenclature. But this book does not, by any means, limit to only them. Not all terrorists are Islamic radicals, and not all Arabs or Muslims are Islamic fundamentalist jihadists or Giza. I have to make that clear. But at the same time, a book is only certain amount of pages. You have to fit within. So I make that clear in the book, but the focus is mainly on the one thing because those are who hit us on 9-11, the greatest strike against America on American soil uh, since Pearl Harbor. And parts of the book I go into uh, other terrorism like the Japanese perpetrated during World War II. There's some history in here, 
you never learned about that you are going to learn about, which is why I say this book is for young and old. Uh, people of any age, I guarantee, are going to learn some things they didn't know. You also reference different locations that the character visits from Nevada, Illinois, Ontario, Canada, London, Tokyo. Are these locations where events have unfolded over time or are these just, let's say, fictitious locations that you've chosen? Well, I, I don't want to provide any spoilers. So okay. let me just say they could be. <laughs> well, I love the tagline of your book because if people have a sense of humor, they would realize that terrorism exists in every corner of the world. It's just a matter of whether you're aware of it or not. Exactly right. And that's the point of having various locations. This is, it takes place with Martin, a Detroit newspaper man, writing his own book, Terrorist Tracks, that I mentioned with the uh, double play on words there earlier. But it's an international flavor because, again, this isn't just about 9-11. Uh, terrorism is happening all over the place. And indeed, there is a chapter on uh, Nevada. Uh, attempted attacks in California and LAX are also referenced. Uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, London, England, Madrid, Spain, Tokyo, Japan, other locations also, both fictional and real, are covered in this book. Uh, to let people know, again, for that tagline, coming soon to a city near you, it can happen in your backyard. Let's revisit some of the reference to scare tactics. For a civilian listening to us speak, how would they be able to identify a scare tactic? Because they might believe everything that they read in a newspaper or online. Well, that's an interesting issue. Of course, the media is in the business of selling ads. So they're in the, in the business of garnering ratings. They want eyeballs on their TV station or listening ears listening to their radio station. So a lot of times they hype things more than they are. But at other times, sadly, they downplay things. Like the Wuhan virus, it has a 99.8% survivability rate. But all we've heard about since 1999, even though we now have vaccines, we now know HCQS and ivermectin work very well against uh, that virus, but they still hype that for the ratings to keep people engaged in emotional hysterics, in fear, so that they tune in every night and they can charge higher ad revenue. But then there are other times that they downplay things, like the Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas parade terror strike. And that was indeed a terrorist attack. Some stations were happy to cover it when they first thought it was just an accident, that someone, oh, accidentally turned down the wrong street and some people got hit and died. And then when it turned out that Daryl Brooks didn't fit the narrative they wanted it to fit, it quickly dropped from their airwaves. 
And the fact is that if Daryl Brooks had been behind bars for attempting to kill his significant other in the very same vehicle he used to run down those people and kill on at that Christmas parade, that event would have been prevented. But that narrative doesn't fit. They want to peddle this no bail policy, no cash bail and soft on crime. And if we let out murderers and rapists and ask them, oh, so nicely to please not do it again, somehow crime won't go up like we're seeing it shoot. Who would have figured? You go soft on crime, right. you get more crime, right? It's just common sense, but some people can't figure that out. When looking at the profile of your book, there was a new term that I personally came across, so I'm a willing student to learn today. What is the Schrodinger cat theorem and how does it relate to the book? Yeah, the Schrodinger cat theorem was postulated that if a cat were in a box, it would technically at that point be both conceivably alive and dead at the same time, and you wouldn't know until you open the box. Well, Patch Adams uh, also postulated about humor and healing, and later these theories uh, are, are proven, but the Schrodinger cat in this book I, and I did, again, I don't want to get into a spoiler, but I do discuss that, how two things can be postulated at the same time, but both can't be true at the same time, obviously. And in terms of the audience that you thought of when you were writing, I admire that you made it very clear on your website that you will not pander to any specific uh, audience out there. So regardless of one's faith, uh, culture, political persuasion, the book is there to stand on its own merit. Exactly. I'd like to say that this book for audiences of all stripes, young and old and everywhere in between, there's something in there that you will learn. You didn't know whether you're still in high school and there's a whole lot they're not learning in their history class if they even have a history class anymore. And like I said, I mentioned the Japanese balloon attacks, not specifically, but that's covered in here. Most people don't understand what were the Japanese balloon attacks. Well, I discussed that terrorism in the book also. It's also for male and female. This is not a Rambo blood and guts all over the place book. Male and female will enjoy this book. Religious and non-religious and political and non-political will enjoy this book, but you cannot have an honest conversation about terrorism without discussing both religion and politics to some degrees, because it's part of the stated reasons why they want to kill us. Well, all of us in some capacity have coexist with terrorism directly or indirectly, and there are side effects of that certain percent of the population coexists with PTSD. And you talk about it in the book, what are some ways of suicide prevention? Yes, uh, that's an important topic to me because I know some who have uh, passed on at their own hands. 
it is on average 22 veterans a day on average take their lives by their own hand. Uh, and that whether that has to do with their post-traumatic stress disorders or other things, because obviously though, uh, depression and issues of PTSD or also survivor's guilt is an issue. Some people who survive terrorist attacks also have a PTSD through survivor's guilt and they deal with issues of suicide. So this knows no politics, it knows no boundaries, it knows no gender, it knows no age range. We saw during the Wuhan lockdowns a lot more teen suicides because they are isolated. So an important sub-theme of my book is indeed suicide prevention. It's an important uh, topic uh, that I felt needed to be addressed. The story focuses on honoring humanity. For someone out there listening, feeling that they don't have enough to live for, how does good, how could we overcome the evil with our own goodness? Well, I'm going to share something that's very difficult to share. I myself am a suicide attempt survivor. In 2004, I attempted to overdose. Well, obviously that attempt failed. I'm still here today. I live to tell the tale. And I consider it part of my mission in life to let everyone know that life matters. Your life matters. And I say to people, be someone's Clarence. You know, like the It's a Wonderful Life film, Clarence saved George. Clarence told George, his life had meaning and showed him. Now, everyone's life may not be as dramatic. After all, that was a movie, right? It needed to be overly dramatic. Everyone may not have a case in their life where they prevented a pharmacist from poisoning a family, right? Not as dramatic, but little things matter. In your daily life, your day-to-day life if you help try to make someone just feel better, and that goes to the comic relief chapter too, just having a polite disposition and having an outgoing personality and willingness to joke around with people a lot. Someone you know might be suffering depression and not have any outward sign, but you can be their clearance. And if you save a life, they save a life, and that person's child then goes on to cure cancer, that curing of cancer wouldn't have happened if you hadn't intervened, if you hadn't been someone's clearance and saved that life. It's a domino effect, it's a butterfly effect, if you will. People are familiar with that from the film, the butterfly effect. In some capacity, I believe that all of us are interconnected. And there's a domino effect of our speech and actions that flow out into the universe. Given your personal encounter, and you also happen to be a theist, has your relationship with the universe and people evolved since then? Um, Not really. Uh, Aside from, and it was 2004, uh, aside from that one very weak moment, and again, I... I I mean, I still, before that and since then, I still deal with depression and issues of stress. 
So I know those evil thoughts that are in your head. Don't listen to them. So my philosophy hasn't changed. It's a, you know, it's a mental health issue. It's just not something that I could help. It's not something others can help. It's just something we need to help them deal with. But yeah, as a theist, as a Christian myself, and Martin in my book is also a Christian, and why there is a sub-thing of love over hate in the book, we need to be our brother's keeper in the biblical sense, not the political sense, but looking out for one another and taking care of one another on a personal responsibility level. And just briefly transitioning, focusing on your writing experience so it could help new and existing writers out there. Are you the type of writer who could put down an entire chapter at a time or did this book build day by day? Yeah, some chapters came easier than others. (laughs) Obviously, (laughs) like I said, uh, this is a literal and figurative culmination of a dream. Uh, It did come to me in a dream in 2006. So some of it was real easy to put down. I just basically wrote what I saw in my dream. And other chapters were harder, which is why it kind of fell apart in 2006. The chapters dealing with actual terrorist attacks were pretty simple because you just do the research on them and then you write them in a matter that's a good story form so you don't have a dry history lesson kind of vibe to it. So the main reason I had my beginning, my middle, and my end in 2006, there were just a few chapters here and there missing, like the comic relief chapter and like the love versus fake hate chapter that's in there. And Those came to me later when I realized the flow of the book needed something because I don't want to try to dwell on a particular theme or sub-theme for too long a period of time, too many chapters in a row, to potentially have a reader become disinterested in any one particular thing. So I flow through the book uh, going through various sub-themes with the main overall thread, though, of the terrorism. If you had the liberty to add one more chapter to the book, what type of chapter would it be? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because there there are several things that indeed are not in this book. And before I explain the chapter or chapters that I might add, I will say I didn't sit down to rewrite War and Peace. I didn't want a 500-book page, you know, 500 pages book. Uh, In this day and time, money is tight, inflation is way up. So I wanted to get a book that would come in at $20 to be conscious of the reader's pocketbook. So I left out a significant chapter, and I discussed this in the introduction part of my book. This book, like I've said, is like no other. And one of the reasons why is you get bonus material. I have an introduction chapter where I break down each of the chapters and I'll give links 
to additional information so you can go read more outside of the book. But I didn't charge you $30 for a 500-page manuscript that way. And the key chapter that got left out was a chapter that would have been called Terror Havens, which would have run down all the different groups and where they're located and who's funding them. That would have been a very big chapter and a very, very big ordeal. But that too would have been kind of dry like a history book. And I didn't want to burden the off, uh, the readers with that factoring in that if they want to learn more about those particular things, there are other authors with books specifically dealing with that subject matter that they can seek out and read additional on or find on the internet on their own. And to wrap things up, are there any new projects that you are working on? Well, my key focus right now is obviously the uh, publicity tour for this book. But there's, uh, again, I don't want to give a spoiler, but there are built-in things in this book that can and may springboard for other books. And without getting into the details, because again, things may or may not happen going forward. It all depends on how well this book does, obviously, whether there would be a sequel, which really wouldn't be a true sequel to this book. But I'll just give you a hint. There's a letter to the editor, also a unique and innovative feature in this book from Joe Bernhardt. And that is likely going to be my subsequent project if this book does well. For audience members tuning in, they're welcome to go to terrorstrikes.info. Information will also be available on the creativecircle.com website and all of its subsidiary and partner websites. Today, we have Joseph, who has joined us in conversation to talk about terror strikes. And before we part ways, Joseph, do you have one writing tip that people could implement? Again, this book came to me in a dream, so you can... A lot of your dreams can be turned into a story. I'm sure everyone has a story in them. And with all the alternative publishing outlets out there nowadays, your dream can literally and figuratively become a reality like mine has. Thank you for joining us on Moving Mountains. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it.